You're listening to Reddit Gold Radio. I'm your hostess, back with episode number seven of your favorite podcast. Today is Wednesday, the 4th of October, and while we are back into a perfect, sunny, Rocky Mountain autumn, not two days ago, we had a sudden snowstorm raging from midnight to midnight. While I'm a bit of a snow bunny, your host is not so enchanted with the cold. However, there's one thing we can agree on. The spooky season is the best season. I'm your host, and armed with the magic of vitamin D pills to combat seasonal depression, I am transitioning into a love for winters. The spooky season is upon us now, and we are conjuring up some special shows for later this month, so stay tuned. We've been continuing to tag users who have been featured on the show, and we also greatly appreciate your listener submissions. And a special thank you to the anonymous first Patreon supporter of the show. Your support directly helps us to continue to host Reddit Gold Radio. Mom, is that you? We hope you enjoy your early access and other patron-exclusive perks. Anyone interested in joining can click the first link in the show notes. I'll be starting the show with a post about one of my favorite video games. This is by user Cicerus from R Gaming. The title of the post is Let Me Tell You About Demon Souls. Demon Souls is a game that will make you into a man. A scrawny 14-year-old after two hours with this game will be grooming his mutton chops and ready to ship off on the next boat to fight the Kaiser. If you are already a man, it will make you into some sort of bizarre double man. What's that you say? You're a woman? You don't want to be a man? Too bad. Too bad. That's the Demon Souls way. You've probably heard that Demon Souls is hard. Psh. Lots of games are hard. Some are even harder than this one. The difficulty is not the point. What sets Demon Souls apart is the way that it doesn't just kill you, but also stomps on your genitals when you're down, and it will make you realize that that's what you were needed all along. It's a lot like life. Sometimes in life you win, and sometimes the giant armored skeleton stabs your face off because the flying mantis monster you didn't even see shot you in the back with a spike at just the wrong time. And when that happens in life, do you respawn at the same spot and carry on like nothing happened? No, asshole. You go back to the beginning of the level, leaving all your hard-earned souls out there on the pavement, and you fight your way back. And you learn a lesson from the whole thing. Because you should have been wearing your thief's ring, now shouldn't you? That's life. The trend in hard games these days is to unlock easy mode for you once you've died enough times. Do you think Demon Souls does that? Do you think Demon Souls is so much as aware of the concept of easy mode? No, it is not. If Demon Souls even knew we were talking about easy mode, it would come over here and kick the shit out of all of us. No. And we would deserve it. I'll tell you what happens in Demon Souls when you die. You come back as a ghost with your health capped at half. And when you keep on dying, the alignment of the world turns black and the enemies get harder. That's right, when you fail at this game, it gets harder. Why? Because fuck you is why. Have I told you about the online elements? At any time when you're in body form, another player from anywhere else in the world can invade your game and murder you to regain his own body, or just to keep you on your toes. This happens when you're in the middle of fighting armies of unthinkable monsters that are probably already three quarters of the way towards killing you. And no, you cannot opt out of this feature. This is what you signed up for when you agreed to be a man. When this happened to me, when a guy strolled into my game like it was Taco Bell and exploded my torso, costing me my body and all my progress in this level, was I mad? No, because I was too busy being in awe at how fucking hardcore the experience was. 
Now don't let this dissuade you. Demon Souls is a pitiless master, but let it never be said that it is not fair. The game rewards handsomely those who stand up to it, and the greater the challenge, the greater the glory. What the hell are you waiting for? And user uh, Bansom right after this comments, I grew a beard just reading this game description. <laughs> I loved this. I think this guy should write for a game review website. I am not a man. I hate that game. <laughs> I hate that game so much. I enjoy watching you play it. Actually, that's not even true. I scream. Like, whenever you play that game, I'm like, no, just stay. No. Uh. All right. Mine is... What was your I am surrounded by idiots moment submitted to Ask Reddit by Prio Nature? The top comment is by The Leaf Aquatic. Ten plus years ago, I was on the cheerleading squad in high school. We had an Indian girl on the squad, and when we introduced ourselves, she jokingly said, I'm so-and-so, but most people just know me as that Indian chick. She was the only Indian student in the whole school. This was rural Virginia. One of the freshman girls looks in awe and asks, Oh, what tribe? <laughs> and the Indian girl responds, No, I mean, I'm actually an Indian person. To which another freshman girl replies, Yeah, but like, what kind? Again, no, I am an Indian person from the country of India. A third freshman girl pipes in, Okay, but like, which tribe is that? <laughs> So many stereotypes confirmed in a single afternoon. I'm not shitting on cheerleaders. I loved cheerleading. We just had a dumb batch that year. <laughs> uh. Next is Fear Not the Peanut, who said, I was once asked to pick an animal. I picked a wolverine. My entire class denied it actually existed. Next is by that one PS4 guardian, who says, I talked to someone who was convinced Asian was a language that everyone in Asia could use in place of their own. Next is hip hop, but don't stop. Oh my gosh, that's a fusion frenzy reference. That is a fusion that's frenzy. That's totally <gasps> hip hop, but don't stop. Good job with your username selection. Um, they say I was in hair school and overheard a conversation some of the girls were having about berries. They all said a raspberry is half blueberry and half. Strawberry. They were 100% serious. Not your roommate 11 comments. It really upset me when I learned grapes are berries, but strawberries are not. Like, had to rethink my entire life, sort of upset. X Spider-Man says, bananas are also berries. Not your roommate 11 has a sad face. Exit says, watermelons are berries. Cucumbers are berries. Pumpkins are berries. Strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, and mulberries are not. What? Rage Quit Regrets says, hmm, seems like we should have sorted that out around the same time as the metric system or something. The only thing I want to rage quit from is this classification system. That's ridiculous. That's hysterical. What? Your turn. All right. My next one, the most unintentionally safe for work thread of the year, is from Ask Reddit. It says, by user Princess Robot, Men of Reddit, what is the one thing you wish girls did in bed that they never do? And this is oh, from no. Devin's Dope. He says, take my clothes off. <laughs> User Sitka00 says, not eat in bed. Fucking crumbs. 
<laughs> user fuck I love nachos says it would be great if once in a while she'd be the one to suggest we go get some nachos before sex. I have to be the one to bring it up every single time. <laughs> Makes me wonder if she's even attracted to nachos anymore. User Disco Panda Twenty says, "Allow me to wear my propeller hat in bed." <laughs> user User Sadman Can says, "Not steal all the blankets while elbowing me in the ribs would be nice." She says she was asleep when she did it. Sometimes I don't believe her. <laughs> Edit. You think two blankets will stop her? She'd steal seven blankets if she could. Edit. Apparently, I, quote, kick the blankets off. I've started a fight I wasn't ready for, boys and girls. Wish me luck. Edit. She's willing to try two blankets. All is calm for now. I'm fairly certain I will get an accidental accidental kick in the dick tonight, though. Edit. I got gold, bitches. I was lying the whole time. I don't have a girlfriend, you idiots. Suck a dick. I'm out. (laughs) I don't have a girlfriend. Well played, (laughs) sad man can. Well fucking played. Uh. <laughs> okay, this was submitted to Lean Fire, which is a subreddit. Um, it stands for so Lean Financial Independence Retire Early, and so it's people who are frugal in addition to wanting to be financially independent and retire early. Um, it's by Deleted, and they had submitted. Does anyone else here just hate the entire concept of working? I'm starting to wonder if the main difference between lean and fat fire is based on how much the individual in question hates work. I've been in the workforce for about five years now, and for me, it's not a matter of finding a job I love. All jobs suffer from the same systematic problems. Namely, number one, the company you work for pays you less than the money you earn them. This is literally the entire point of them hiring you. Yes, you can go into business for yourself, but given how many businesses fail, this is easier said than done. Number two... Given number one, you are effectively trading the best hours of your day and the best years of your life to make someone else money. Number three, the economy requires most jobs to suck. It's not economically viable for everyone to live on money from book tours. Number four, yes, maybe you can find a job you don't hate after you get six plus years of higher education and 10 plus years of work experience doing crappy grunt work, but is it really worth slogging 16 plus years of crap for this? For me, no amount of fancy restaurants or luxury cars is going to make me feel better about throwing away my life energy. I'd rather have the time to ride my bike, write my novel, and cook for my friends while I still have my health. That guy works, commented. I remember my first job. For the purposes of this post, job equals got paid for services rendered. It was late summertime and I was eight years old. We had just moved to a large ancient farmhouse in a rural neighborhood outside of Rochester, New York. The property had dozens of pine trees. No one had lived there for years, so hundreds of pine cones littered the yard. My old man made me a deal. I'll pay you half a cent per cone. This was great for him because not only would his new yard get cleaned up, it would also keep his eight-year-old boy out of trouble until school started. I had no friends, no money, and no knowledge of labor management dynamics, so I happily got to work. Smelling money in the air, I even branched out into neighbors' yards and the scary woods at the far end of our property. I completely denuded our zip code of pine cones. Took me about a week. I still remember what my old man paid me. $7.35. Yes, folks, at the tender age of eight, my American work ethic was so finely tuned that I went out and picked up 1,470 pine cones for seven bucks and change. And my old man still bitched about it. 
I remember him mumbling, I should have made it a quarter cent, under his breath. Flash forward eight years, I'm 16, and the old man wants me to clean out the basement. The basement had slowly accumulated a collection of garbage due mainly to his own pack rat behavior. There were tools and newspapers and yard items and gardening implements and soldering kits and metal craft sets and hidden firearms and mountains and mountains of various trash. He offered me $20. I thought back to the pinecone deal and suspected I was about to get the fuzzy end of the lollipop again, so I said, it's not worth it. He exploded. The old man was prone to frequent and unexplained explosions, so this is nothing new, but the ferocity of this explosion took me by surprise. I was ungrateful. I was lazy. I was disloyal. I was selfish. I was happy to just sit around and get fat while he paid for everything I ever owned. Scratch that. I didn't own anything. I used what he owned, and the only reason I could partake was through his largesse alone. My brother ended up doing it, but I'm not sure the old man ever forgave me for turning down the job. He liked to hold a grudge. I'm 40 now, and the old man died years ago, but it occurs to me every job I've ever had has worked out the same way. Every salary negotiation, contract agreement, and dissemination of duties has been shockingly similar to those first instances with my father. When I'm ignorant of the terms, my labor is co-opted and abused. When I bargain from a position of knowledge or power, personal traits like loyalty and work ethic are called into question. TLDR, two tales of my father offering me work when I was very young. They both starkly illustrate adverse managerial practices I continue to observe to this day in the working world. That post is so real. Isn't that I, interesting? I can <clears throat> sympathize with that so much. Mm. Oh my God. That's horrifying. Zachariah had commented on it um, and quoted, my brother ended up doing it. Another lesson learned. Even with a bad deal, someone else will probably take it and might even undercut you. If you and your brother actually needed that $20, your dad would have had the leverage to drive the offer down even further. Jesus. Yeah. God. It's not as funny as your last post. No, it's dark. <laughs> I've got a one that's more serious but very um, happy in terms of the ending. Hmm. Um, this is a serious post from Ask Reddit by Durgard the Touched. Folks who used to be incels, neckbeards, or nice guys slash nice girls, what helped you snap out of it? And how could people help friends or colleagues who may be going on or going down that road? Best friend has leprosy, says, It's not something that just changes one day. It's all just beliefs and actions that aren't really the right things to be thinking or acting. How to avoid? Even that super cute person you like is a person. All those thoughts you have in your head, they have them too their own consciousness, their own ideas, their own beliefs. They're not just a thing for you to like. They're a complete person. If you want someone to like you, you have to be someone they would want to like. You can't get mad at someone for not liking you or not responding the way you want. Sure, you can get mad if they're actually rude to you, but that's not very often. And usually the only time someone would be rude is because you're continually pestering them and annoying them. Imagine if someone you found unattractive was always talking to you always doing stuff for you. Is there any nice thing they could do for you that would all of a sudden make you attractive to them? Really good points, guys. User Cadway says, The first one is a good rule for life. It still amazes me to think that everyone you see is the main character of their own lives, with years of life and experience and thoughts and feelings. All of us. Keep that in mind. Henry 78 says, Even people you don't know. I'll think of this sometimes when I'm in a public place. There, there's some dude that I don't know getting his groceries or something, and I don't think twice about him. I don't know him. 
what he's thinking, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what his family life is like, and so on. In the grand scheme of things, to me, he's just a background character, just some random person. But when you think about it, I'm the same way to him. He's got his own thoughts, his own worries, his own likes and interests and dislikes, his own family and friends, all of which are just as pressing and important to him as my own are to me. And I'm just as relevant to him as he is to me. It's weird to think about that. Maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe that makes me somewhat self-centered. But it's weird to think about other people's internal narratives and how they are ultimately just as real and important as your own. Proper Foxes, teaching everyone a new vocabulary word, says there's a word for that. It's sonder, and it refers to the fact that everyone you've ever encountered has a rich inner world that is completely separate, yet completely connected to our own. Hmm. Very cool, right? It's the realization that all of those NPCs for you are protagonists in their own story. I love that. I just getting. I always forget that word. Sonder. Sonder. Yeah, Yeah. I had heard that before. Um, There was one other one, which was a really interesting approach that I love. User in Libra comments, It's a bit weird, but in my late teens, I'm 30 now, I started playing female characters in MMOs. Firstly just as a joke, but as time went on and I started making friends, it became more and more difficult to tell people the truth. I soon found myself on the receiving end of the exact same attention and behaviors I was exhibiting myself in the presence of girls. It was like looking in a mirror for the first time. Every word and action seemed to be meticulously thought out as to be as inoffensive as possible, while subtly trying to passively aggressively build a relationship, as if I didn't see right through them. I wondered if it might be as obvious for actual women. Yes. (laughs) I've never been the confrontational type, so I tried to let them all down as gently as possible, an approach that proved completely ineffective. I was worried that if I told them the truth, it would destroy them, and I didn't want to be nasty either. Continuously, I found myself getting backed to corners like that. I honestly had no idea that's what I was doing. So this reminds me of RuneScape. When my brother and I were younger, um, I would play as a female character and have this. But my brother also played as a female character and would have random guys following him around. He actually used it to his advantage because then you can say, yeah, I'll be your girlfriend. You be my boyfriend. It costs... This much a month. My brother oh, got like God. a Santa hat. My brother had, he never got a party hat. That was that was out of our reach, but he was given a lot of items. Wow. Well, Rachel Sid talks a little bit more about the gaming aspect of this. She says, this is why so many ladies play male characters and mute chat. It's just less of a hassle. It is extremely obvious what they are doing. And we, as you experienced, cannot win. There is no good way to turn these guys down. If you are nice, you're leading them on. If you are direct, you are a nasty fat bitch and I didn't like you anyway. And now I'm going to get people to gang up on you or whatever. Cannot win. My husband recently played a few games as female and while he was never a neckbeard, it was eye-opening for him. He had heard about the problems but didn't realize how widespread it actually is and how it can turn something you love into an anxious and uncomfortable time. Every incel gamer should play as a woman for a week. I think that's great advice. Oh my God. I also need a chat. Yeah. For good reason. Oh, my next one is by Tap Dance Panda, and this was submitted to our female fashion advice. Minimalism, another boring product wealthy people can buy. We've talked a lot about capsule wardrobes, minimalist bloggers, Marie Kondo, etc. Who's ready for a discussion on the dark side of minimalism and how it is, to quote the article linked below, a way of aping the connotations of simplicity and even, to a degree, asceticism without actually having to give up those sweet, sweet class signifiers. 
If you're having that moment of, ouch, that's a little close to home, me too. I won't read the article, it'll be linked in the show notes, but the Sunshine Gang comments, I can relate so hard to this article. When I lived in the Bay Area, I had two pairs of shoes, and one bowl, and one cup, and one backpack, and one pair of jeans, and no computer, and my life was terribly difficult. I was making minimum wage in the costliest city in America without being able to afford my lung prescriptions, but my life looked so cool on Instagram. Claiming to subscribe to a semi-minimalist philosophy was a defense mechanism of mine. After all, what could be more minimalist than eating only oatmeal and beans every day for a month? Party Porpoise says, Voluntary simplicity? I should use that. It sounds much better than being broke. The Sunshine Gang then says, I had this weird moment when I was living in San Francisco. I was working in an area with a lot of technology employees, many of whom worked in software and the like, and I was required to wear nice clothes and stuff to work. A retail job, and all these tech people would come into my job and spend $500 to $600 on home decor and gifts and accessories, and they were dressed worse than I was, wearing ripped jeans and a t-shirt, but wearing Google Glass and holding iPhone 6s. I couldn't afford to buy anything sold in my store, I had to pack my lunch because I couldn't afford to eat lunch anywhere around my store. I was only dressed nice in my one pair of thrift store heels because I needed to keep my job. It was kind of sickening. Groundhog Cake Day then says, It also reminds me of this now famous picture, and he is linked to a Trump family photograph. Um, everything is gold. There are marble pillars, giant windows, uh, Donald Trump is sitting in a gilded throne with his beautiful wife behind him in like a lovely pink dress. Their son is riding a lion, a fake lion. Yeah, we should clarify, not a real <laughs> Not lion. a real lion, uh, though I'm sure they could have afforded it. And it's just a very overtly wealthy photograph. It also reminds me of this now famous picture, which I've been I've seen described as a poor person's image of what rich looks like. And my mother would have admired that photo. But I think my generation has mostly moved on from that and replaced it with a cleaner, less cluttered ideal. In the same vein, my grandmother needed to own a real mink coat to show off that she was valued and that her husband had the ability to provide that for her. By the time grandma was gone and my mom inherited the coat, it no longer held the same cultural significance, and mom was not interested in wearing it, even though it was worth more than any other item of clothing she owned. Do you think that was kind of interesting? Mink coats are horrifically uncomfortable. Like, previous generations have a more overt display of wealth. Like, Whereas that's like so peacocks. gauche. That's so yeah. gauche in the modern era. I would like to say, in connection to this post, I think it's clear that not all minimalists are trying to signal in this way, there are those persons who have the internal mechanics and philosophy of minimalism as a mental structure. These persons practice a sort of modern stoicism, and their surroundings reflect those values. I don't think this post applies to those people. However, I also think it's clear that minimalism has become a more mainstream trend. And in becoming more popular, there are those who are exhibiting minimalism as a sort of trendy new way to spend money to signal that they are better than other people, Without getting too into a no-true-Scotsman argument, non-capitalistic minimalism can be a way to pare down physical and mental items to be able to prioritize and enjoy what's important to you. And that dark side of minimalism is when it's used as a 
fashion choice to feel superior to other people. Minimalism is a wonderful thing. Faking minimalism is not. Is is not, yes. Very true. The next post is from Our Gaming by Brass LOL. Stolen from our books, video game titles minus one letter. Maverick32 says, Moral Combat, a fighting game starring your favorite ethics philosophers. Ruptured Pomposity says, I know who I'm betting on. He can't be beat. User Pick says, Enable hidden characters with left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down, start, select. <laughs> User Bress LOL says, Left for Dad, Valve's foray into divorce simulation. Oh, no. Racer X 52 says, Left Dad, Mom likes the milkman. User A-M-I-E-S says, Amnesia, the Ark Descent. Uh. <laughs> you wake up on a boat full of animals. No idea how you got there. The next post is from Mr. FTW. Pants versus zombies. No. They aren't after your brains. <laughs> User Valden450 says, Plans versus zombies. I wasn't going to get anything done today anyway. User Get a Lawyer says, Pans versus zombies. Cooks fight back. No. A deleted user says, Ass Effect. It's not space you're exploring. Oh, I'd play that. My personal favorite was by uh, Mars Needs Towels. Baldur's Gat. Fantasy takes to the streets. And by Ethereal. Harvestmon. Gotta harvest that ganjamon. Oh, no. (laughs) And the last one from this thread that I'll quote, which is, the whole thread is fantastic. Definitely look through it. Uh, It's by Anosnosis. Planescape Torrent, the game that pirates itself. Uh, Loved it. That was great. My next post is from our Stoicism. I thought it was fitting since we had mentioned Stoicism before. This is submitted by Green Wizard 2. Ten rules from Marcus Aurelius. Number one, understand that people exist to help one another. Marcus believed, I should clarify, Marcus Aurelius is a Stoic philosopher. Marcus believed that even though there will always be people who live selfishly and those who wish to destroy others, mankind was meant to live in harmony, that we came into the world for the sake of one another. And within society, leaders such as himself emerge, and it is their duty to be the guardian of their followers. Number two, be mindful of others' humanity. Remember that every one of your followers, every one of your superiors, and every one of your enemies is a human being who eats and sleeps and so forth. It sounds obvious, but it is easy to belittle or to magnify the importance of others when you are making a decision about them. Remember that every person has dignity and pride. Number three, realize that many mistakes are the result of ignorance. When a person makes a decision that offends you, Marcus writes, first consider whether they were right to do this, in the sense that they are acting in a way that is morally acceptable, even if it is against your own self-interest. If, however, they are behaving in a reprehensible way, consider their actions to be based in ignorance. When dealing with your followers, punishment or chastisement should thus be done in an educational way. Number four, do not overly exalt yourself. It is true that leaders should take their leadership roles seriously, but not in a way that makes them feel godlike in some way. Remember, you've made enough mistakes yourself, Marcus writes. You're just like them, and if you're And if you've managed to avoid some of the mistakes your followers make, then recognize that you have the potential to falter and do even worse. Number five, avoid quick judgments of others' actions. 
Sometimes what you initially perceive as your followers or your competition's mistakes are more wise and deliberate than you think. A lot of things are means to some other end. You have to know an awful lot before you can judge other people's actions with real understanding. Number six, maintain self-control. While it is natural to react to an offense by losing your temper or even becoming irritated, it is in no way constructive. To maintain control over your emotions, Marcus writes, remember that life is short. You can choose to spend your time and energy languishing over things that have already happened, or you can choose to be calm and address any problems that arise. Number seven, recognize that others can hurt you only if you let them. Think about a time when someone insulted you. For example, you made the decision to let their words hurt you when you could have instead pitied them for being ignorant or rude. The only actions that should truly hurt you, Marcus writes, are things you do that are shameful since you are in control of your own self-worth and values. Number eight, know that pessimism can easily overtake you. It is common to have strong emotional reactions to disasters, but behaving in this way only keeps you from addressing the challenges that arise and fill you with powerful negative thoughts. How much more damage anger and grief do than the things that cause them? Number nine, practice kindness. Sincere kindness is invincible, Marcus writes, and more powerful than any negative transgression. It takes a strong leader to set aside ego and base emotions and behave with compassion. What can even the most vicious person do if you keep treating him with kindness and gently set him straight? If you get the chance, correcting him cheerfully at the exact moment that he's trying to do you harm. Number 10, do not expect bad people to exempt you from their destructive ways. While great leaders can do everything possible to behave in a constructive and compassionate manner, they must also understand that there are those who find meaning in destroying others. It is not only foolish, Marcus writes, but the act of a tyrant to think you can change these people or persuade them to treat you differently. The top comment is Green Wizard, who says, The title of this image says 10 rules for being an exceptional leader from Marcus Aurelius, but it could just as easily be 10 rules for being a better human. I agree with this. And I think saying followers and using those words of like leadership, um, you can apply this to your own life by saying friends, right? Friends, Mm -hmm. family, parents. Marcus Aurelius is probably my favorite of the classical philosophers. The Stoics, obviously, I mean, most listeners of the show already know, uh, are our favorite school of philosophy, almost certainly. Mm. Um, and that that word stoicism means something different in the modern time than it once did. Mm-hmm. Um, ancient stoicism is not the absence of all emotion. It's the absence of negative emotion. And so it's a philosophy that helps you to increase joy in the little things while decreasing irritation. I think it's fantastic. I agree. We'll definitely touch on that. And if you would like to read a book about stoicism... Oh dear. Oh yes. We, this is not a sponsored advertisement, but if you get the chance, you should look up, um, the good life, the ancient art of stoic joy. And I'm forgetting the name of the philosopher in question. There's a great, but we will link it in the show notes. Yes. We will link it in the show notes. There's a great review by Mr. Money Mustache, a fantastic blogger, um, that inspired us to read it. And I love that book. Yep. Guide to the good life. Yep. All right, I want to close today out with a last submission from our one of our listeners, actually. Listener Jonathan Flash submitted the following post from R. London. This is by user Kunfusu. 
It's titled, Why the Thames' Water Level Changes Rapidly During a Day in London. Last week, I've been in London. I noticed that level of water changes drastically. I don't know how exactly, what's the range, but we are talking about meters. It's not a sporadic event because it happened every day for the whole week I've been in London. What are the causes of this phenomenon? User Algo says, Sometimes they open the Thames barrier and the river is allowed to go out and play on the beaches of the coast or even in the sea. It has to come back at home time and they close the barrier to make sure it doesn't get out overnight. User The Jam Sandwich says, People are thirsty in the day and drink the water in the taps and coffee shops. At night, the government fills it back up with water. So new to this again comments, Ah, I always thought it drained when we all put the kettle on for our breakfast cup of tea, and then it filled up again during the official toilet break at 10.30. I didn't know it was the sneaky government. You live and learn. (laughs) Mike Mike Gustafsson comments with a very interesting um, addendum to this joke. He says, Nah, that's why you guys have a power plant dedicated to tea time, though. And everyone's kind of like, what? What What are you talking about? And he links to a Wikipedia article titled TV Pickup. TV Pickup is a term used in the United Kingdom to refer to a phenomenon that affects electricity generation and transmission networks. It often occurs when a large number of people watch the same TV programs while taking advantage of commercial breaks to use toilets and operate electrical appliances thus causing large, synchronized surges in national electricity consumption. Oh my god. Electricity networks devote considerable resources to predicting and providing electricity supply for these events, which, in the UK, for example, typically impose an extra demand of around 200 to 400 megawatts on the grid. Short-term supply is often obtained from pumped storage reservoirs, which can be quickly brought online, backed up by the slower fossil fuels and nuclear power stations. That's amazing. Is that not wonderful? I mean, I know everyone's joking, of course, but that was a, a brilliant How interesting. Idea. Also, I wish that I had said, oh, my science. <laughs> well, we have, I'm an atheist. <clears throat> we, have, we have more science from Lump 182. Good spot, OP. What you saw was actually mobile gravity theory, MGT, in action. You've witnessed some science, mate. Basically, as more people move into the center of London towards the middle of a working day, their accumulated mass causes a slight rise in gravity. As the Thames is made up of light water, i.e. it contains a greater than 20% volume of polystyrene and other buoyant plastic detritus, it is especially susceptible to this minor gravitational fluctuation, and we see the water rise throughout the day as it is pulled towards this mass. Is this serious? No, this is okay, a joke, sorry. of okay. course. <laughs> as folk move out of the city again at night, the water recedes. Interesting side fact, on New Year's Eve 2016, the MGT shift triggered by the sheer volume of well-fed and heavily imbibed people <laughs> swaying back and forth to Auld Lang Syne initiated a series of waves in the river propagating from the center of London towards the mouth of the Thames, causing an alarm system to trigger in the Thames flood barrier. The waves eventually made their way into the North Sea and were actually measurable as far away as the Netherlands. Why would he make this up? User Flappy Nonsense comments, Interesting fact, all members of the British Armed Forces are mandatorily given light water instead of heavy water. In fact, during the Second World War, they spent a lot of money ensuring that Air Force pilots in particular were given the lion's share of all light water, since it was widely recorded that those pilots who were full of light water could maneuver their spitfires more easily. <laughs> Johnny Rocket Man comments, Wasn't there a prototype dry water? It has all the benefits of water, but it's dry. User Shaper Pump says, Dry water, 
That's ridiculous. You're thinking of dehydrated water. You can store it safely for years and reconstitute it at any time you need by just adding water. User Viking Teddy comments with another Wikipedia link. Again, people trying to be funny about things that actually exist. Dry water is an unusual form of powdered liquid. It is a water-air emulsion in which tiny water droplets, each the size of a grain of sand, are surrounded by a sandy silica coating. Dry water actually consists of 95% liquid water, but the silica coating prevents the water droplets from combining and turning back into a bulk liquid. The result is a white powder that looks very similar to table salt. It is also more commonly known among researchers as empty water. Can I eat it? You that can. sounds amazing. I believe you can. You might not want to eat silica, though. You're not supposed to eat silica gel packets. It says that on the, on the tin. That's true. <laughs> but the last comment to close out the thread that I thought was wonderful was uh, by Grep Varlog. He says, tides come in, tides go out. You can't explain no. <laughs> that. <laughs> Magnets. How do they work? And this ends the lucky number seven episode of Reddit Gold Radio. Which thread was your favorite? Who won the thread war? Let us know and send any interesting threads our way for next week. Want to support the show? Share it with your friends. Want early access, bonus shows, or other perks? If you can afford to support the broadcast for a few dollars a month, follow the link in the show notes to Patreon. I'm your host. Thank you for listening. And I'm your hostess. Good night and good luck. The question is titled, Why the Tim's Water Level Changes Rapidly During a Day in London. Last week, I've been in London. I noticed that level of water changes drastically. I don't know exactly what the... I'm sorry. Is it the Tim's? Isn't it the Thames? No, it's the Tim's. This is totally going in the out. The, oh, the no. Tims. Is yeah. it really not the Tim's? The Tim's. It's the, it's the Tim's. It's definitely the Thames. Are you ready? Are you ready? Pronunciation. I'm going to blow your effing mind in about really? two seconds. Um, simply put, the river's name has always been pronounced Thames, with a simple T sound. Thames. Yep. How to pronounce Thames, if you want to hear I it. I stand corrected. What? Thames. Thames. Boom. Okay, all right. I have been pronouncing that incorrectly in my head. It's just like that time I heard the word bourgeoisie. Bourgeois. Right? Or the word colonel. And I was like, what? Colonel? 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 All right. Um, I'm sorry. Start again. No, it's fine.